We're going to get into the Word right now, and this is actually the last Sunday, the seventh Sunday, where we're in this collection of talks called Seven Last Sayings, where we've been going through each of the last sayings of Jesus as he was hanging on the cross. We started with, I thirst. We moved on to, Father, forgive them. We moved on to, you will be with me in paradise, to behold your mother, to my God, why have you forsaken me? To it is finished. And this week we are going to conclude with the final saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so why don't we pray before we get into this? Yeah, Father, we just thank you so much for giving us this season to reflect on Jesus and reflect on his words from the cross and what it means for us today. I pray that as we wrap up this collection of talks, as we focus on this final saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. God, would you make these words come alive in our souls and in our lives right now? Because more than anything, we need to know that we are safe in the hands of a good father. And so God, come right now, Holy Spirit, wherever we're at, would you awaken this text And would you lead us into understanding and revelation? In Jesus' mighty name we pray, we say, amen. Now, in uh, 2005, I had the wonderful opportunity to go on my first overseas mission trip, and we went to Kazakhstan. Um, And it was a really cool trip. It was really long. It was about 30 days, and we were there for pretty much a month. And, you know, we'd have ministry things lined up every single day, but... Every now and then, every few days, we'd get a vacation or a rest day. And on one of our rest days, and you'll see why I'm quoting it, we went to the mountains in Kazakhstan, and there was this ski lift. And it wasn't snowing at the time, but there was a ski lift that takes us up the mountain so we could get views and really enjoy nature and the scenery. And so I remember, um, you know, we were partnering up, getting ready. I actually got partnered up with the tallest guy in our group, who's about 6'4". And um, we were getting on together. And I remember looking at the ski lift operator, and he just had this devious, evil grin when he said, have fun. And so me and my friend were looking at each other, and we're like, oh, okay, that was kind of weird. And so everything's normal. We're going up. Um, everything's fine. We're enjoying the views. We're getting higher and higher. You know, me and my friend, we're just dangling our legs, having a good time. When all of a sudden, the ski lift screeches to a stop, and we start swinging back and forth. And just as immediately as it stopped, it starts going again. And then five seconds later, it stops again, and then it starts going forward. And we realized what the ski lift operator was doing was he was stopping and restarting rapidly the ski lift so that we would start bouncing up and down, suspended hundreds of feet in the air. And I remember looking at my friend and we're freaking out. I, luckily, I had my, my camera with me and so I recorded it. I actually posted it on YouTube um, and I just checked it actually this weekend and it has like over 190,000 views. So um, this is what it was like. Why don't you check it out? And so we're swinging up and down, we're fearing for our lives, we're screaming. At one point, my friend who's 6'4", his feet actually touched the ground. And I remember thinking in that moment for maybe the first time in my life, my life is literally in another person's hands. I have literally no control over this situation, whether I live or die. My life is in the hands of the evil, devious, grinning ski lift operator. And I remember thinking, man, this could be it. 
I have no control over my life. And the question I want to ask you is maybe you haven't been on the ski lift ride of death in Kazakhstan, but my question is, have you ever placed your life in someone else's hands? Now, immediately, most of you might think no, but when you think about it, we actually do it all the time, but we just rarely recognize we do it. Every time we get into the car of our friend who's driving us to work, we place our lives in their hands. We place our lives in the hands of every other driver on the road, trusting that they're going to follow the law and not break it and cause us to get into an accident. We place our lives in the hands of the pilot that's flying us to Southern California. We place our lives in the hands of the chef who's cooking us a gourmet meal, trusting that he doesn't have uh, flesh-eating bacteria radiating off of his hands. We place our lives in the hands of the doctors who are operating on us, on the dentists who are operating on us. And I find that our willingness to place our lives in the hands of another depends largely on this one word, trust. You know, this week I'm placing my life in the hands of my wife because I desperately need a haircut. And so I am literally, I'm placing my life in her hands as she tries to cut my hair. Why? Because I trust her. I want you to imagine if you needed an operation to save your life, some sort of operation or surgery, and you walk into the operating room and the person getting ready to work on you looks like this guy. If I got dragged into the operating room, I open my eyes and it's Joe Exotic, the Tiger King, I would run the hell out of there. Why? Because I'm only willing to place my life in the hands of those I trust. See, trust is the foundation of surrender. And so we see in this last passage in this series, in Luke 23, 44 through 46, this is how it goes. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. See, in this moment, we actually have to recognize that Jesus was actually quoting scripture. He was quoting the psalm, Psalm 31 in particular, something that a lot of scholars believe that King David wrote. And in Psalm 31.5, the psalmist writes, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. You see, Jesus and David are both facing similar circumstances. For David, he was likely writing this psalm at a time when he was in exile. He was on run for his life. He was being hunted down by the king. He was forced to hide and live in caves, moving from place to place, looking over his shoulder every single day for an enemy that's trying to kill him. And for Jesus, he's hanging here on the cross, suffering and bleeding and dying, and people are mocking him and beating him, and there is nowhere else to go. You see, both David and Jesus were facing darkness and death, and at this moment, they make a profound choice. They both say, God Into your hands, I commit my spirit. In other words, God, I place my life in your hands 
because I trust you. You see, both Jesus and David chose to trust in God despite the suffering they were enduring, despite no guarantee of rescue or salvation, despite not seeing God's hand over their situation. You see, we have a choice to say, I'm going to trust in what I see around me, or I'm going to choose to trust in God. You see, It's easy to trust in God when everything is going well, isn't it? It's easy to trust when everything is going my way. It's easy to trust God in those moments. But how many of us can say, I will trust you even when nothing is changing around me? I will trust you even when death is a certainty. I will trust you even when pain is filling every moment of my life. Even though I don't see you moving, I will choose to trust you. And this is what Jesus was doing in his final moments on the cross. Facing death and darkness, saying, God, I still trust you. I think trust is hard because we long for certainty and control. And, you know, we long to be able to forecast our lives and make sure that there's no pain on the horizon, that everything will be okay. We long to control our lives so that no darkness or no struggle or no hardship seeps its way in. But how many of you know there are some moments in life you have absolutely no control over? Just like on my ski lift of death, at that moment, I had no control whether I I was going to live or die. My life was literally in the hands of the evil ski lift operator. And I find that there are moments in our lives where there is absolutely no control And there is absolutely no certainty. And you realize you're completely helpless at the mercy of life. I remember a few years ago, for some reason, I was watching this documentary about galaxies. And they're... they're, They're showing us even just our Earth's rotation around the sun. Even if our rotation, for some reason, were to go one degree off course, we would either freeze to death and we'd become an ice-aged planet, or our planet would be completely incinerated. And it's crazy to think that one degree can change all of humanity's existence. And it made me think, man, I really have no control. In some sense, I am completely helpless at the mercy of the universe, at the mercy of the galaxy, of the orbit of our earth that I have literally no control or say over. And I think this is so relevant in our time right now. You know, we just found out that shelter in place is going on now until May 3rd. And I think many of us right now are experiencing different stages of lament and grief. You know, even last Sunday, I hope my wife doesn't mind me sharing, but before service, we wanted to pray for each and every one of you. And Krista broke down in tears. And we just came to the realization, man, we miss our people. This sucks. We want to be with you. We want to hug you. We want to be in your physical presence. You know, even my mom figured that she was so sure that all of this would blow over by early April, that it wasn't as serious as people were making it out to be. But even as I was talking to her on the phone this week, I could hear the fear and almost the disappointment in her voice that shelter in place is extended another month. 
There's people who have no idea if they'll even have a job at the end of this. And even I heard from someone in our community that they're not going into work for the rest of 2020. And we have no idea how long this is going to last. And I don't know about you guys, but for us, the circle is really closing. And these aren't just stories that we're reading in articles anymore. Now, these are friends' fathers, or these are relatives. These are people that we know that are catching this virus, who are affected, who are losing jobs, who are experiencing so much darkness during this time. And I don't know about you, but I feel helpless. I feel like I have absolutely no control over the situation. I feel I have absolutely no certainty about even what the next month is going to hold. And as we look to the cross, we see Jesus teaching us something extremely valuable to our lives of faith, something extremely relevant to what we're experiencing right now. Because as he faced darkness and death, as he faced uncertainty, a loss of control, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And in this season, as we're facing uncertainty, as we're facing darkness and death, are we able to say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. See, we have to learn to trust in something other than our circumstances. And there's a big difference between surrendering to the darkness and surrendering to God. When there's nothing else you can do, when you are completely helpless, you can choose to surrender to the darkness, but it's a hopeless surrender. It's a surrender of defeat. Or you can choose to surrender to God. It's a surrender that births true hope because you trust the hands you are surrendering your life into. See, it's heavy trying to control every aspect of our lives. It's heavy trying to have every single thing figured out, everything mapped out. We have to remember that his hands are safe. In Isaiah 55, eight through nine, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In Proverbs sixteen three, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. How many of you know that his ways, his understanding is higher than our own, just higher than what we can see with our natural eyes before us at this very moment. And so I'm able to trust in that God because I know that he sees something that I might not. I know that his ways are higher. He knows what he's doing. And so in this season, I want us to tap into those words of Jesus, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I want us to learn to trust. But we have to understand that trust only grows in a specific kind of environment. Uh, Right over here, you can't see it, but we have a fiddle leaf fig tree. Uh, It's kind of like a play on, it sounds like a play on words, fiddle leaf fig. We have a fiddle leaf fig tree. And the thing about fiddle leaf fig trees, even though they're trending right now, that they're actually, it's very hard to create an environment where they grow in a healthy way. 
because they are very needy plants. In other words, there is a specific type of environment. They need sun for just a specific amount of time during the day. They need water. Then they need shade. They need specific things, specific temperatures to grow in really healthy ways. There's a specific environment in which they thrive and in which they grow. And in the same way, trust only grows in a specific type of environment. What is that environment? The first thing we have to understand is this mystery is the soil where trust grows. I think, honestly, mystery is one of the the most uncomfortable things. Mystery makes us so uncomfortable. And oftentimes in the church, I find that we like to throw Bible verses and cliche answers at our questions because we we cannot stand mystery. We're so uncomfortable with the idea that there are things in our lives that are supposed to remain unclear and unexplainable. And if you don't have any questions, I have to tell you, you're not doing faith right. If you went through your entire Bible reading plan this year and you don't have a single question about why God did this or why God allowed that or what was his thought process behind this or what he was doing or saying or what he meant, you're not reading it right. Because faith was always meant to have an element of mystery attached to it. Because without mystery, we cannot have true faith. This is why the author of Hebrews says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what? About what we do not see. If we could see everything, know everything, we wouldn't need faith or trust. And so in our faith, we have to become familiar with mystery if we hope to grow in faith and trust. Because it's only in mystery where we're able to surrender control. It's only in mystery where we're able to surrender our need for understanding. John Mark Comer, he says, the opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's certainty and control. And I had this thought this week that peace of mind is overrated. Do you know there's a peace that only comes when you're willing to surrender your need for understanding? This is why Paul writes in Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, can we stop trying to answer questions we were never meant to find answers for? Can we stop trying to have it all figured out? I believe there's an expression of worship that God is so pleased with that sounds like I don't know. I don't know why our world is experiencing this pandemic, but I know I can trust you. I don't know why my family member has cancer, but I know I can trust you. I don't know why I lost my job, but I know I can trust you. I don't know, but into your hands, I commit my spirit because I trust you. Erwin McManus says, peace does not come because you finally have control over your life. Peace comes when you no longer need control. And until we can give up certainty and control and our need for them and learn to embrace mystery, we'll never tap into true faith or true trust. And so mystery is the soil where faith and trust 
can grow. But the second thing we have to understand is this trust is nurtured by intimacy. Jesus' dying moment was a moment of trust, but it was also equally a moment of intimacy. Notice that he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, trust and intimacy belong together because trust is nurtured by intimacy. And likewise, intimacy is nurtured by trust. They are two sides of the same coin. This is why A.W. Tozer, shout out to Ying, says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, I knew so many people growing up who had such trouble seeing God as father because of their own traumatic experiences with their earthly fathers. And every time they looked at God, all they would see is their own dad. And so they ended up living in constant fear of punishment or rejection or whatever broken nature of their earthly relationship with their father was. They started reflecting and projecting that onto God. See, this is why it's so important to create space and time to get to know who God is, who he is actually as father, and not just what we've known in our earthly experiences. This is why it's important every time we open the word, every time we pray, every time we listen to a sermon, every time we learn or spend time with God is valuable because we are learning the nature of our father, and we are learning through intimacy, through building of relationship that he is trustworthy and he is a good dad you see this is why it's so important to create that personal space and time with god hear me church the greatest mentors in the world can impart their wisdom their revelation and their insights to us but do you know what's the one thing they cannot impart unto us their history with god You see, I can sit with Tim Keller all day and grab all sorts of nuggets from him, write an entire binder full of revelation, deep revelation that he's pulled from scripture, that he's come to an understanding about God. But there are some things that can't be taught, that can only be caught in your personal experience, in your personal history with God. You see, it's one thing to be able to say God is good because the Bible tells me so, or because Pastor Mickey tells me so, or because John Mark Comer tells me so. But it's another thing to say God is good because I remember a time in my life where I had nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn to, and I was completely in the darkness, but God came and rescued me out of that place and so I know he is good because my history with him tells me so see your history with God is made up of every morning that you wake up and you fight to open up your Bible and read a chapter even when you feel like you're getting nothing out of it your history with God is every time you lay down your schedule to make space to pray even though you feel like he's not there every time that you spend time with God is you building upon your history with him when you finally get that breakthrough that you were longing for after months and months of prayer All of these things compile this book, this history that we have with God, our story with him. And when we come to know who God is, we find that we're able to trust him more. See, I rely on the word of God to tell me that he is trustworthy. 
But it, I would be completely honest with you and say there are moments where I know he's trustworthy, but I don't feel that I can trust him. And in those moments, you know what brings my emotions into alignment with my understanding that he's trustworthy? It's my history with him. I remember what I was feeling when he came and got me out of that darkness. I remember what I was feeling when he finally spoke, when I was trying to hear his voice for the longest time, when he finally spoke and it changed everything. I remember the times when I had so much confusion. I had lack of direction, lack of purpose, no idea what was coming next, but God automatically deposited wisdom and gave me clarity about what to do. I remember all those moments, my history with him that brings me back to that place of trust because intimacy nurtures trust. He is a good father. You see, I'm not placing my life in the hands of a far off, distant, absentee father who barely knows a thing about me. I'm placing my life in the hands of a loving and caring father who is closer than the very air I breathe, who knows the count of every hair on my head, who knows every thought, every worry, every anxiety, every fear, who knows everything about me, who loves me, but not just loves me, who likes me, who thinks I'm funny and fun to be around. That's the kind of father I'm placing my life upon his hands. And so we have to know whose life we're placing our hands into. Trust nurtures intimacy and intimacy nurtures trust. When I was growing up, I remember being extremely afraid of two things. Number one, I was extremely afraid of burglars I must have watched too many TV shows, and so I remember every night I would check my window, and we had this little front gate to see if anyone was trying to break in. I just irrational fear that someone was going to break into our house and uh, murder our entire family. The second thing I was extremely afraid of was thunder and lightning. And I remember there was a, um, a time when we experienced a blackout in our house, and there was a thunderstorm going on outside. It was raining so heavily that... You could hear all of the raindrops pounding against our ceiling. The thunder was so close. You could hear it. It was literally shaking and rattling our walls, it felt like. The lightning was so bright that every few minutes, it would illuminate our entire house in a flash of lightning. And I was terrified as a kid. And I remember during that time, that specific instance, I remember running to my dad and just crying and saying, I'm so scared. I remember my dad holding me and saying, there's nothing to be afraid of. You're safe here. And in that moment, I wasn't thinking, okay, I'm safe because thunder and lightning aren't dangerous. I wasn't thinking I'm safe because there's this house and this roof over my head. I remember thinking I'm safe because I'm in the arms of my father who says there's nothing to worry about. And in this season... I think that's exactly what we need. We need, in the face of so much uncertainty, in the face of so much loss of control, in the face of so much darkness and tragedy, we need to run into the arms of our Father and say, God, I don't understand. 
I don't understand why we're experiencing all this. I have no clue why people are suffering. I have no idea why these things are going on in our world. I don't know, and I'm helpless, and I have no control. But I'm willing to commit my life, my spirit into your hands, because I trust your good, good Father. And church, I want to encourage you with that today, that there's a good Father whose arms are open and ready for us to come to him and say, I commit myself to you. I commit my uncertainty. I commit my control. I surrender my fears. I surrender my anxieties. I surrender my questions. And I don't know, but I trust that you are good. And I trust that you are for me. C.S. Lewis, he says, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. And every morning, I don't know about you, but I need to center myself in this truth again and again. I need to pray this prayer every morning because every new day, I need to surrender because I am so helpless and so out of control. And I need a father who can reassure me that everything is going to be okay. You are safe here in my arms. May this be our prayer this season, church. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. What is the thing that God is calling you to surrender today? What is the uncertainty he's calling you to place in his hands? What is the thing that you so desperately need to control that he's calling you to let go of? Church, let's make this our prayer. Let us surrender and commit our spirits, our lives into the hands of a good father. Let's pray. Father, I just want to acknowledge every fear, every anxiety, every question, every doubt, every worry, every sadness, every sorrow, every discouragement, every hopelessness. I want to acknowledge all of them because I believe that so many of us are in a season of mystery. We're in a season where we don't have answers. We're in a season where we don't have control. We're in a season where we literally have nothing to cling on to but you. And I thank you, God, that as difficult as seasons of mystery are, that mystery is the soil where true faith and true trust can grow. And I pray in the season that we wouldn't surrender to the darkness, but we would surrender to you. We would surrender to a loving Father. And so, God, we make this our prayer. Father, into your hands we commit our spirit. Father, into your hands we commit our worries. Father, into your hands we commit our uncertainty. Father, into your hands we commit our need for control. Father, into your hands we commit our lives. And so God, would you hold us and would you remind us that you are a trustworthy God and that even though there's so much around us that is uncertain, that is so dark, we can trust that our lives are safe and good in your hands. So hold us, God. Keep us close and remind us of your loving embrace. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, we say, amen.